there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Spark. And I'm Skysberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, we're talking about a movie I'm very excited about because it's fucking bizarre. <laughs> Yes, it is. It's a Tim Burton film, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, Tim Burton. Oh, he's so weird, but he's just weird for the sake of being weird. He's not really... Listen. Listen, Listen. Linda. Okay. This movie is fucking crazy weird, but it's weird with a purpose. And that purpose is to be the best B-movie in all of creation, and I think it accomplished its goal. This is Mars Attacks, released in 1996. I can't wait to talk about it. Okay. I love it so. It was good. I do not think it's the best B-movie in creation. I love it so. (laughs) Directed by Tim Burton and produced by him as well. It was written by a man named Jonathan Gems, and oh, is this a gem indeed? We have a score by Danny Elfman. Which actually is probably the best part of the movie. It's great. It has a 54% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I find repugnant. If you can't tell by the tone of my voice and my general attitude, I'm a little tired. But I'm soldiering through the tiredness because this movie came out of nowhere in my life and surprised me greatly. And I just thought as soon as I finished watching it, I have to share this with my love, my husband, Because he will truly appreciate the fucking wackiness of this movie. The fucking temerity of the film to be so very bizarre. (laughs) But, um, Scott, it didn't seem like you fully appreciated this movie for the beauty that it is. Please explain yourself. Okay. First off, yes, I did like the movie. It is a wacky movie that kind of is just making fun of Martian movies with a very high budget and a lot of stars in it. I don't know how Tim Burton got all these people. One of the things that attracted me to watching this movie for the first time was the fact that there are so many famous fucking people in it and I just wanted to understand. (laughs) Because it's one of those things that I think is now becoming a thing in Hollywood. And maybe it started here with Mars Attacks. But when you have a movie that is loaded with stars, and I mean this is loaded, that movie tends to not be a good movie. Your New Year's Eves, your Valentine's Days. Scott, excuse me, excuse me. Are you saying that this movie, this masterpiece, is comparable, some might say comparable, to... Trash like Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve? Is that what you're saying to me in this place of all places? The place where we lay our heads at night as husband and wife? A sacred, sacred place. You are sullying it with this garbage. (laughs) No, I am saying, while yes, this is the best version of that, it's still a version of it. (laughs) 
You don't understand her. That's the problem. You, 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 you came into her house. You ate her food. You laughed at her decorations. And then you just shit on her. You shit on her. And now you stand here and you shit on her some more. You don't understand her. Can you tell that I'm fucking tired? Y'all are going to think I'm drunk. I'm fucking not. I'm just so out of it tired. But I need to push through because this is important. Okay. This movie is fucking great. (laughs) It's my personal second favorite Tim Burton movie behind Beetlejuice. Okay. I said it. I'm not taking it back. Fuck anyone who says differently. I say differently, but I will, you. <laughs> I will gladly accept that from you, and we will talk after the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> now now Scott's getting a little frisky. But you are right about one thing. This movie did have a big budget, a whopping $70 million, and it made only $101 million in the box office, so pretty much broke even. <laughs> I'm actually shocked it made that much money. It is so weird and wacky that I don't expect this to make that money. This movie was based actually on a trading card series that was released in 1962. And the artwork for that was done by Wally Wood and Norman Saunders. So shout out to them. I don't know anything about the trading card series. I would assume that the only thing that connects this movie to the trading card series are the aliens themselves. The fact that there are Martians in the movie. Wait, wait, you're telling me there's not a card of Jim Brown dressed as a pharaoh? I would assume not. Although, why wouldn't you want that in your life? Or Danny DeVito dressed as a gambling pimp? There are a lot, 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 a lot of characters in this movie. A lot of star power, as we've been saying. There was actually even supposed to be even more characters than there were actually in the final cut of the movie. We have a lot to get through. This movie is jam-packed with stuff so we're gonna just jump right into the nitty-gritty here head first because we got lots to discuss now this movie starts with a flaming cow stampede and i feel (laughs) that this is the perfect indicator of what we're in for yeah scott do you concur oh yeah 100 percent. because it starts out with these like two farmers talking about oh you smell that barbecue cooking it smells great. And this fucking stampede of flaming cows come by. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> but we don't have time to think about the implications of that, Scott, because a spaceship has been seen departing from Earth and going to Mars. And we get our opening credits. We immediately get a smack in the face of not just the incredible cast we have here, but we also get a a nice slap in the face of our CGI in this movie, which is fucking awful. But it's purposely awful. At least I think so. Because oh, yeah. It's definitely on purpose. But the best part is this score by Danny Elfman here. Oh, yes. Very operatic score we get also. is really good. Yeah, it's great. This is what we're in for, guys. Shitty visuals with overly serious music backing it up a completely absurd movie 
that is being played straight as fuck. Yes, that is the key sign of the B-movie inspiration, Mm -hmm. is a zany plot being played 100% straight. You see it with things like Plan 9 from Outer Space. Correct. Another movie we'll get to at some point in the future, Attack and Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Uh, Must we go there? Yes, we must go there. Okay. That jury's still out, but we're talking about Mars Attacks! Now we meet our president, our United States president named James Dale, and he's played by Jack motherfucking Nicholson. He's just President Jack Nicholson. Yes. <laughs> he's meeting with generals and various smart people who are supposed to be in his cabinet, including our press secretary, Martin Short, our smarty pants professor guy who's here to drop some knowledge on us, played by Pierce motherfucking Brosnan a mere one year after his appearance as James Bond in Goldeneye. The name's Bond. James Bond. My favorite James Bond, which is a very hot take, but that's, you know... Is it really that hot of a take? I mean, Pierce Brosnan's pretty cool. He is pretty cool, but... He's cool even in this movie, and he plays a complete fucking idiot. (laughs) Him and Connery? I like his Bond better than I like Connery's Bond at times. I can't really give a a solid opinion on that. I have only been exposed to a mere few James Bond movies, so... GoldenEye is on the list, everyone. (laughs) It will happen. But the best part of this particular scene with the president meeting with his cabinet is that we meet with these generals, one of which is a very quiet, humble gentleman who just is a, a yes man. But then we have the other general, who is... Upon news of aliens surrounding Earth, it's like, we must nuke them! Nuke them now! And that's the start of a running gag throughout the whole movie. Everyone else around this poor general is like, we must communicate with the aliens, and we must talk to them and be peaceful. But then this one general, he's like, no, you fucking idiots, they're Martians! Martians! We must kill them! Yeah, and with it, fire! It's very funny. Yeah, it is a running joke throughout this movie. As things go more and more incredibly wrong, this guy is speaking a lot of sense here, even though he's kind of like a warmonger. This movie is for sure an ensemble piece. So we basically spend the first half of the movie or so just introducing everybody. I feel like Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, at some point during this portion of the movie where we're introducing everyone you were getting a little frustrated because we kept meeting new people and you were like when is this gonna stop when is something gonna happen and i'm like just wait we're setting the stage we're gonna get there well again that's part of the issue of movies like this is when you have such a fucking cast like this you you're you're like oh yeah we're spending all this time meeting the cast i cannot tell you if you didn't say the president's name before, which was what, President Dale? Yes. I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. But Scott, that's not important, okay? Uh, you know how we are usually on this show with our plot analyses. We are pretty thorough. We try to keep things as succinct as possible. But I promise you, for the majority of the time, we will not be calling these people by their character names. Psh- who needs that we will be calling them by their fucking actors names because a it will make things a lot easier and b 
we don't fucking know half their fucking names through the movie because they're not important. Now, we also meet the president's wife, our first lady, Glenn Close. <laughs> Her name's supposed to be Marsha, but who cares about that? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Nobody Damn cares. It. That took my it's joke. Sa- this is the same year that our queen, Glenn Close, played Cruella DeVille in 101 Dalmatians, the live action version, which, by the way, I watched relatively recently in preparation for the new Cruella movie that came out recently and it still holds up it's still amazing and Glenn Close is still the motherfucking shit unfortunately she is kind of underused in this movie but essentially they establish her as this hoity-toity first lady character who is very obsessed with the regality of her position as first lady yes the only thing I really remember about her character is that she wants to change the drapes in the White House that were put there by Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, and it's essentially just set up like that for the purposes of a punchline that happens later in the movie when shit starts getting crazy. So these characters, while not incredibly developed, they don't need to be (laughs) because that's not the purpose of the movie. The purpose of the movie is, ah, look at all this B-movie bullshit flying at us in the screen. Look at all these crazy people going through hell with these Martians. Whoa! That's basically the movie. And with all of these many, 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 many characters that we have to introduce, if we had to develop them all as well-rounded characters, we'd be here for seven hours. And nobody wants that. Now, we also meet the president's daughter, Taffy, who has the dumbest fucking name ever, but we're going to ignore that because she's played by Natalie Portman. Right smack in between her stellar performances in both Leon the Professional and The Phantom Menace. And <laughs> so- she is our residential Lydia Dietz of this movie. Yes, in that she is very uh, adolescent, emo, angsty, teen girl. And we love her for that. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) Now, this movie goes back and forth quite a bit between Washington, D.C. and another really fun location, Las Vegas. So we cut to Las Vegas and we meet another one of our stellar characters, my actual favorite character of the movie, Mr. Byron Williams, played by Jim Brown. One of the greatest running backs in NFL history, used to play for the Cleveland Browns, and then became an actor. Now, I didn't know any of that when I first saw this movie. I just like the character of Byron. Jim Brown is really going outside the box here in his portrayal of Byron Williams. Instead of playing a former football star, he's playing a former boxing champ (laughs) who is currently working as an entertainer. Really outside the box stuff here. Yeah, I from Jim Brown. He's an entertainer. He's dressed as a a pharaoh. A pharaoh in this casino. His actual job in the casino is not really made clear. He's just dressed like a pharaoh in a casino, and we are to assume that that is his job. <laughs> he puts in a call to his estranged ex-wife Louise, played by the legendary Pam Greer. Oh yes, we love her. And they're, they're chatting. They clearly still have some unresolved romantic entanglements with each other. And it's funny because they're never actually... Together? 
together in person. All their interactions are over the phone, yet you can still feel their chemistry together, which is, I think, a really interesting feat. I think that's because of Pam Greer. We love Pam Greer, yes, but I think Jim uh, Brown is a great, he does a great job in this movie. He does do a great job, but Pam Greer is an amazing actress, and I feel, even with her limited screen time, she is arguably one of the most memorable parts of this movie, along with Jim Brown. And we also established that Pam Greer and Jim Brown have two young sons, one of which is played by Ray J. Do you know who Ray J is? You don't know who Ray J is. He's a rapper who slept with Kim Kardashian. Don't be fucking rude. Are you kidding me? Yes. Also known as Brandy Norwood's little brother. I think more people know him from my thing than that thing. Well, that's probably true, but I'm trying to be nice here, okay? But throughout the movie, it is important to establish that the two young sons of Byron and Louise are typical young whippersnappers they love video games and they love violent video games even more they're always seen playing video games with big neon colored guns in their hands yeah and that is their character and that's fine because we got lots to do and we can't develop these tiny little side characters too much it's very funny because there's this like underlying message that video games are actually good for your children and you should let them play violent video games because maybe one day that will allow them to save the world. We also meet some other characters in Vegas. We meet, as we mentioned before, Danny DeVito in this movie. I don't even remember his character's name. He's just Danny DeVito in a cheap suit. I don't even think they gave us his name. No, he's just known as the Gambler. That's what his character name is, and that's just fine because he, nobody cares. Does he's he, there to be Danny DeVito. Does he know when to hold him? Does he know when to fold them? Does he know when to walk away? No, actually, because at one point on the TV, there's a news report about aliens attacking our fucking universe. And (laughs) fucking Danny Vito just turns around and is like, why don't we get to start shooting craps? (laughs) So that's who we're working with there. And we also meet a, a shady businessman, quote unquote, by the name of Art Land, and he is also played, believe it or not, by Jack Nicholson. Just with a mustache. And a bad fucking prosthetic nose. (laughs) And a Texas kind of accent? Yes. Now, here's the thing with this movie that I, one of the many things that I adore. When I first watched this movie, I was like, oh, Jack Nicholson plays the president, and he also plays this Vegas creeper guy. So at some point, something's going to happen to the president because, you know, alien attack and the shady Vegas Jack Nicholson is going to have to pretend to be the president. That never happens in this movie. They're never addressed that they even look alike. They're They're never in the same room. They're not even in the same city. Yeah, like, there's no... We're all supposed to pretend that... These are two completely different characters. <laughs> don't don't look at the man behind the curtain. Everything is fine. And I looked it up in my research, and here's what I found out. In reality, the original plan was for Nicholson to play the president and for the creepy Vegas businessman, quote-unquote, to be played by Michael Keaton. <laughs> but for whatever reason, that didn't work out. So Jack Nicholson, I guess, was just like, oh, I'll just play both characters. That's fine. I'm Jack Nicholson. I can do what I want. And it's like, okay, 
it works out just fine but i was the whole time the first time i watched this movie i was expecting for something to happen there so there could be a purpose of the president character and this shady vegas guy looking alike and there's no purpose at all it's just so weird that it's never addressed either there's never a point where somebody's like no, you kind of look like the president. Either it was just like one self-aware line. Here, here's the thing, guys. Like this, this movie, you have to just give yourself to it. You have to surrender to Mars attacks in order for it to work. If you resist, like Scotty over here, you're gonna pick it apart, and you're gonna fucking want to pull your hair out. Just let it go just let it happen granted this is coming from me who loves so bad it's good movies i wouldn't categorize this as a so bad it's good movie because it's so self-aware it's like on another level i point out these nitty things because the movie wants you to point out these things but it wants you to accept it scott it wants you to take those nitpicky things and wear them like a warm blanket and cozy up in front of the fire that is Mars Attacks. You're doing a motion that people cannot see because we are on a podcast. I realize that, Scott. Okay, I realize that. I'm losing my mind, but it's okay because we're watching Mars Attacks and this is what it does to people. Don't you want to be like me, audience? (laughs) Don't you want to go on this train ride to hell? (laughs) So... We also meet Shady Vegas, Jack Nicholson's wife, Annette Benning. I didn't even realize till halfway through the movie, the first time I watched it, that it was Annette Benning. She's our new age hippie of the movie. It's funny because creepy Vegas Jack Nicholson is like, I like money, no matter what the cost. Fuck the environment. Fuck the government. I just want to make my money in Vegas. And the wife is like, but the environment, but the people. That's her role. And it's fine because, again, we don't need development in this movie. We got things to do. So we cut to the local news station and we meet yet more characters we meet news reporter jason stone played by motherfucking michael j fox marty mcfly himself oh and his girlfriend who runs a fashion show yeah she if you or anyone you know has ever watched the e-network where it's basically just show after show after show after show of people talking about celebrities on red carpets and oh they look hot and they look not that's basically sarah jessica parker in this movie who plays natalie fun fact in case you forgot that this is a tim burton movie the role of jason the news reporter which was played by michael j fox was a role that was originally turned down by one johnny depp makes sense And this was right after Ed Wood, too. But for whatever reason, he didn't want to do it. Perhaps he was Tim Burton out at that point. That definitely could have been. He had been in quite a few Tim Burton projects. But the news station is covering the president's address, basically telling the American people that aliens are a coming. And Jason is pissed because the news station wants Natalie to interview Pierce Brosnan on her show, who 
in case you forgot, I know it's okay if you did because there's lots of characters. Pierce Brosnan is the smarty pants professor aiding the president in this alien contact situation. And he likes to smoke a pipe. Yes, because he's an intellectual. And intellectuals often smoke pipes, apparently. We cut to yet another group of characters in this random trailer park. The Norris family. It's a a mom and a dad who are fucking assholes. Fucking redneck dickheads. And they have two sons. One of which is named Billy Glenn, and he is gun-toting, America-loving, want-to-join-up-the-military-to-fight-the-aliens type dude. And he is played by Jack Black. We also meet the Norris's other son, Richie, played by Lucas Haas. And he is such a sweetheart, but he is completely underappreciated by his evil, nasty ugly parents because unlike his gun-toting brother who can put a gun together in under two minutes he works at a donut shop yeah but he's so sweet and he loves his grandma we have grandma norris who is very sweet and everyone else in the family is like fuck grandma she's old and crazy but lucas haas is the only one that like genuinely cares about his grandma and they have a really cute relationship but Billy Glenn is going to volunteer to the military to go on alien detail, which at first, you know, the country and the world is led to believe that this alien detail is going to be just facilitating contact with the Martians. It's going to be peaceful. Yes. Surprisingly to no one, though, it doesn't end up that way. I know. It's crazy. The movie is called Mars Attacks. Yeah, it's not called Mars, Peace. you know, sits down and has a spot of tea and crumpets. So now that we have officially established all of our human characters, we get the television interview between Sarah Jessica Parker and Pierce Brosnan. And they are immediately flirty as fuck with one another, despite the fact that SJP is supposedly dating MJF. And MJF's watching the interview and he's like, He's touching her leg. What the fuck is that? He's copping a feel. <laughs> Michael J. Fox is the shit. Can we just talk about that for a second? He is. He, in such a short amount of time, establishes the fact that this reporter guy is like a slime ball who doesn't really give a shit about his relationship with SJP at all. But despite that, he still is all over the fact when Pierce Brosnan like touches her leg (laughs) but yeah he just plays the swarmy guy so well but he also has enough charm just being MJF that you still like his character yeah again for another character who's in the movie for like five seconds this interview is interrupted by the ambassador of Mars and this is our first introduction to the visual of the aliens scott would you like to describe how these aliens look yes they are little green men with big exposed brains who can only say (laughs) did that auditory did that get annoying after a while for you Eh, not really. I, I honestly didn't care. There was a lot of good, funny jokes with it, especially when they bring out the translator. Yeah. Um, fun fact, the alien voices are done by none other than Frank Welker, 
who has voiced some iconic characters, including Fred Jones from Scooby-Doo and Megatron from Transformers cartoon. So I can see that. We, we love him and we love his work. Originally, Burton wanted to have the aliens be stop motion. He was actually going to have Henry Selleck, who did the stop motion on Nightmare Before Christmas, do it. But uh, at the time, he was too busy doing James and the Giant Peach. Yep. Which I feel like is an underrated movie, by the way. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I did watch it a lot as a kid. I remember liking it. Me too. Maybe we should revisit it sometime. But Professor Pierce Brosnan tells us that, oh, I think that the aliens are probably a peaceful species. And that sentiment is compacted by the fact that some scientist in the White House comes out randomly with a translation machine just magically because this is a B-movie and we don't need explanations and science to make sense of anything. We just need shit to happen. Let's get on with it already. So the translation machine translates the message that interrupted the television interview from the ambassador of Mars and Apparently, the ambassador is saying, we come in peace. So we go right into our our first contact with the aliens. It's a whole big to-do. Press is everywhere. People are everywhere. Military. And it's funny because we have a whole sequence with the general, not the angry general that's like, kill, kill, kill. The more quiet general who is just biding his time, clearly, waiting for his moment to shine. And... The president gives that to him because he's like, listen, you're going to facilitate this contact. You go and you you rock it. You you general you. You hold us down. One of the reasons why I love the writing in this movie is because it's it's so obvious in what it's trying to do. They have a whole sequence with this poor, sweet, humble man, this general, and he's calling his wife and he's like, see, honey, I've been quiet for so long, biting my tongue, waiting for my moment, and now I have it. I'm going to be the famous general that facilitates contact with the aliens. What can possibly go wrong? And it's like, oh, okay, movie, you're making it very clear that something will go wrong it's literally like the speech of hey i'm gonna retire in three days this is that speech the aliens land had come out the general meets them and they're having like this conversation and the translator's like we come in peace and then one guy goes they come in peace and he releases the dove Because that is a sign of peace. Where did this man get one single dove? Nobody cares, Scott. (laughs) Because the dove is immediately killed by the alien's lasers. MJF is also there covering it with Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, they're like on top of news vans. And it's so funny because, okay, we have all these stars here, right? And obviously in movies, generally speaking, you're like, oh look at all these stars clearly they've got to have some plot armor because of their star power you're not going to kill off you're not going to kill off marty mcfly in the first half hour of your movie are you are you tim burton are you going to dare to kill marty mcfly in the first half hour of your movie motherfucker they do they pull a drew barrymore hell just completely breaks loose The aliens immediately kill the humble, mild-mannered general. And 
this is the part that I love. In the chaos, one of the news vans gets knocked over and Sarah Jessica Parker falls flat on her fucking ass and she's down for the count. And despite the fact that up to this point, MJF has been a completely self-absorbed asshole who doesn't really care too much for SJP, he immediately turns into a hero and jumps off the goddamn news truck to go get SJP. And it's like, oh my God, MJF, even when you're playing an asshole, you can't turn off the Marty McFly in you. You just can't do it. He does like a Yelp that sounded so much like they almost like they ripped it off right from Back to the Future. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, almost, yeah. It's just like, yeah! But as he is crawling towards SJP, they both reach out their hands very overdramatically. Like, this whole movie is so overdramatic, but it's playing it super fucking straight, and that's what I love about it. The So Bad It's Good lover in me is just eating it up like fucking pancakes. But as SJP is reaching for MJF, unfortunately, she p- grabs his hand and pulls back just his hand and he is turned into a green skeleton yep he's gone and i was bummed when i first watched it because again i'm a big mjf fan but it really kind of solidified the fact like oh we're just gonna kill any motherfucker in this movie well yeah and right after that happens jack black grabs a gun off the ground runs at the aliens goes to shoot them of course the ammo falls out And he's like, I surrender, and they kill Jack Black. And it's so crazy because, again, up to this point, there really hasn't been much action. It's really been kind of chill, just kind of taking our time, establishing everybody. So when it just fucking comes out of nowhere in a split second, it's just complete chaos. And then multiple characters that we spent the last half hour establishing are dead. And you're like, oh, fuck. So I give the movie credit for that, for really shocking us. You know? Yeah, it, it, again, it's the B-movie thing. Like, nobody's really safe in the B-movie. Even uh, the person we thought was our main star isn't our main star. But in the chaos, the aliens go to leave. But before they do, they grab SJP and they kidnap her along with her little chihuahua, Poppy. Yeah, and it gets weird. it does we're gonna get there don't you worry we cut to the president watching all this on television and immediately the kill 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 general is like uh kill 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 now because you know they killed 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 some of us so now we got to kill them and the professor brosnan is like no we can't it was a misunderstanding you saw how they reacted to the dove maybe doves in their language are a sign of war Okay, sure. So the president decides that he wants to reach out to the aliens and renegotiate a peace treaty of some sort. And the aliens respond to that by saying that they want to meet with the U.S. Congress, which isn't suspicious at all. No, that's fine. Let's do that, because that seems like a great idea. Yes, and they call meet Congress and... The alien, of course, act, 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 and then smacks the mic and kills Congress. <laughs> and they capture Pierce Brosnan. I really love just the whole character design of the aliens because it's A, so bizarre, but B, the CGI is so bad, it just doesn't look like it fits. And part of that is just the fact that it's this is a 1996 movie and CGI is obviously not what it is now. But also, it's it just falls so in line with the whole B-movie thing 
that this movie is doing of like we're flying by the seat of our pants but we're gonna make a cool design it may not look perfect or anything but it's still fucking cool yeah it's it's cool it's and it's actually pretty scary. Like I, I like the look of them. Like I think, the bulgy eyes. Yeah, and shit. I think they look really cool. And again, the ack 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 is like oh, okay. It's, it's just silly enough. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, an, another massacre ensues where these aliens kill most of Congress, which is great. <laughs> At one point, the president, after all that happens, he's talking to like his team, and he's like, "I want the American people to know that." Two out of the three branches of government are working tirelessly to protect them. And also, I want them to know that the children of this country will still be going to school. <laughs> it's like, because that's important. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. It's uh, so dumb. And I love it so much. It's so funny because the general brings up killing them again. And Jack Nicholson has like a freak out. That's great. Like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Oh, it's so good. Jack Nicholson is like chewing the scenery, like eating it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner all at the same time. But it's so great. Like his president is hysterical. Like the whole we haven't come back to, but they do cut back to his like Las Vegas casino guy. And I don't feel the same about his Las Vegas casino guy. Yeah, because he's not really in it as much. And he's just kind of there to be sleazy guy. But that's fine. But you know what's hilarious? There were other actors considered for the president character. Namely, Warren Beatty and Paul Newman. Who are way too actually serious to be in this fucking movie. <laughs> oh no, yeah, Jack is the right choice for this movie. Absolutely. I can't picture anyone else doing this and actually pulling it off like, like Jack Nicholson. Paul Newman is very subdued. Yeah. Even when he's like doing like a really like speech with power. Right. And Warren Beatty's not far off from that. Yeah, Warren Beatty has more capacity to be over the top and silly i mean if you've never seen dick tracy you can kind of sense that in him but at the same time nicholson is an actor who not just in this movie but in so many other movies he's done has the perfect balance of fucking crazy and actual serious actor so it's like he, he just balances that perfectly and that's what this movie really needs to make it work so he is perfectly cast really everybody in this movie is perfectly cast the cast is really like the highlight of the movie the star the casting director deserves a motherfucking raise yeah just because it's so bonkers but in the massacre with the congress we also have another kidnapping of uh, a character with Pierce Brosnan the aliens knock his ass out and drag him up to the ship and he is soon reunited with SJP and of course because they're aliens they have to do weirdo experiments on these people we'll fucking get to that because that's one of my favorite parts of the movie <laughs> can we just get to it now it's so fucking weird like I they take off SJP's head. Well, first they switch her head. This is a whole. This is where we go to another fucking level of weirdness. 
they take off SJP's head and switch it with the dog's head. So the dog's head is on SJP's body and then her head is on the little chihuahua's body. And then we just see Pierce Brosnan and the experiments they did to him basically just disembodying his head and he's just hanging on like a hook, his disembodied head. And that was weird enough for Scott. And I couldn't wait to hear his reaction to what happened next. Scott, do you want to explain what happened next? Oh, that they, they, they start flirting with each other again? They ha- they make no- 0.0 references to the fact that they are human-dog hybrid and disembodied head. SJP's like, oh, um, Pierce Brosnan, can I ask you a question? Were you flirting with me on the show? And he's like, oh, yes, darling. I, I've had a crush on you for so long. I love your show. And it's like, um, excuse me. <laughs> Not to mention SJP's boyfriend died in front of her. Yeah, How- no reference to that. He died trying to save you. But no, we're fine. We're just going to fucking move on to James Bond. I mean, we go from Marty McFly to James Bond. I mean, both are excellent choices. However, you're a dog. You're a dog head person. Like, can we talk about that for a second? Maybe can we talk about the mental implications of that in your brain like i'm never going to be a a person again i'm a dog person now i'm never gonna get the image of sjp's head on a dog out of my head ever again it exists it exists And it's beautiful. This is the point in the movie where I was just hysterical laughing. And Scott was so confused. But I loved it. I love it so much. It's so crazy. It's so bonkers. It's just like when you think it can't get any weirder or crazy, it just goes there. And here's the thing. Tim Burton, especially in his later movies, I find that like... He he does crazy, wacky things just for the sake of wackiness, and it doesn't work. This, I feel like there's a purpose to it. There's a, a general aesthetic, a general tone of the movie that we're trying to convey. Therefore, it all works. The wackiness has a purpose, therefore, it works. Oh, yeah. This is an homage to... All those other B-movies. Because when you watch older B-movies, they do go crazy because, hey, we gotta go crazy or we got nothing. We need giant ants? Let's make them giant ants. (laughs) We need a fucking blob creature to come out of the sewer? Let's do it with fucking gelatin. This is what they do. And that's what makes a B-movie so great is like, hey, we have no money. Let's... Just do something crazy because that will get us noticed. Exactly. And again, just when you think you can't get any weirder, we move on to the next scene, which revolves a lot around Martin Short. Remember Martin Short? He's in the movie. He plays the press secretary. Remember I introduced him like 20 years ago? (laughs) Yeah, he has a couple little scenes here and there. But also Martin Short apparently has a thing for prostitutes. Yes, we established that in the movie as well when he is driving along the road and he goes to, in his uh, presidential car, he is picking up prostitutes. And that is important for what comes next because in order to infiltrate 
the White House and and try to assassinate the president, the aliens decide that they're going to disguise themselves as a sexy lady, but they don't do a good job. <laughs> they disguise themselves as this woman with this huge hairdo. It looks like if you watch older movies, there used to be a haircut called the beehive. Yes. It looks like a beehive, but times like three in height yes and it's it's very it's very silly but it's also got an element of creepiness to it because the way this disguised alien lady walks it's very it like glides and it moves like waves oh, the hands around. one of, one of it, the creepiest points is when they get into the white house and martin short gets like three feet ahead of it it speeds up it's like yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. it's super weird but also if you've ever seen the poster for this movie this woman is very prominent in the advertising for the movie you would think it's a main fucking character the way they advertise it but it's literally just in this sequence which is maybe makes up 10 minutes of the movie if that yeah it is a long sequence it does go on a little too long here yeah a little bit but Martin Short picks up this lady, brings her into the White House to attempt to sleep with her, and proceeds to get his finger bitten off by the goddamn alien. And then he gets knocked out. It looks like he actually dies. I'm not sure if he does, though. He doesn't come back in the rest of the movie, but that could just be because there's too much shit we gotta get through. We can't focus on fucking Martin Short. I'm I'm assuming... He's dead. Right. Uh, okay. It wasn't made perfectly clear, but let's just assume for the sake of sanity that the alien just fucking killed him. So then the alien takes off its little creepy costume, goes into the president's bedroom, but the the president is saved in the nick of time by the dog. That's right. The dog saves the day. Leia particularly loved that part of the well, movie. Until, Our Poochie. Until the dog got shot. Yeah, that was that was the less fun part. The the fucking dog got obliterated, but before that, he saved the fucking day. <laughs> but then uh, the alien is thankfully killed by Secret Service. So our fucking dumbass president in this movie, as well as his wife, are saved. But because the alien was killed, this is an inciting incident leading to the titular Mars attack. <laughs> Even though they've been attacking. Yeah, but now now shit really hits the fan. We go back and forth between different plot lines with all our remaining characters trying to survive this alien attack. I separated the different plots between A, B, and C. So we're going to start with our A plot, which of course is with our Jack Nicholson president. The aliens immediately start attacking, hitting different monuments. There's a great sequence where there's this like group of kids on like a tour or something. By the way, there's still tours going on. That's like a funny bit in the movie too, where every time something's going on in the White House, they're like, oh, we want to do this. Oh, but you can't. There's a tour going on. And there was even a tour going on during the Congress attack and Byron's kids 
Ray J and other kid, they are in the White House on a tour while this alien attack is happening. It's like ridiculous. Yeah, so that's a funny running joke that happens a couple times. But the best joke is the kids apparently, there's another tour visiting the Washington Monument. Yes, that's what I was getting to. And the aliens shoot the bottom of the Washington Monument and they're trying to tip it over to kill these fucking tourists. Yeah, that was pretty funny. But the Secret Service are evacuating the president and his family and Glenn Close is hoisted on her own petard in the chaos. She is crushed by a very regal looking chandelier hanging in one of the rooms of the White House. Hit the Phantom of the Opera music. Basically, her whole character was set up for that one joke, which... Under normal circumstances, I would find the idea of setting up a whole entire character and having her being played by an amazing actress like Glenn Close and having her just be there for one joke is kind of a waste and stupid. But in this context, it works perfectly, in my opinion. Yeah, so she dies. Ray J and his brother get a hold of Martian weapons and start killing the Martians to save the president. So next time you adults out there say that violent video games are bad for the youth of America. You're wrong. Fuck you, man. I could shoot all the people I want. I'll shoot those hookers in Grand Theft Auto oh 5. Fuck <laughs> you. Oh, my God. Oh. So once we get the president to his bunker of safety with his team, he is continuously arguing with this general about killing the aliens and he is so the president finally acquiesces after all of this shit has happened and fucking bajillions of people have died at this point but now now we can release the nukes <laughs> and the nuke is immediately sucked into a balloon and used as a, a party trick by the aliens yeah which i think is hilarious because completely undercuts the whole running joke of the movie with the general like oh we have to act we have to kill them immediately president mr president and it like completely undercuts that whole running joke because it's like even if you did this from the beginning it wouldn't have mattered because the aliens they don't give a shit about your nukes anyway so it doesn't matter either way mars is going to fucking attack because it's the title of the movie and that's where we are and this is what we're doing <laughs> and so the aliens come into the white house into the secret bunker and the general's like ah you motherfuckers he starts shooting and the aliens shrink him down to size and just step on him yeah and then after the aliens kill everyone in the room except the president he tries to give an impassioned plea for his life and for the world he's like can't we all just get along and then it looks like the aliens are acquiescing and buying into that but then immediately they're like oh no we're gonna kill you now and then he the president's dead and uh, ha 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 <laughs> Now, the president and Congress are all dead. Who takes over the country? We'll we find fight. out by the end of the movie. Trust me, it's not who you think because it's wrong and it's stupid. <laughs> it's Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. No, no, no. Oh, no. Too soon. <laughs> Too tsunami. Um, so now we're going to go to our B storyline of this climax 
we go to Vegas. That's right. We're back in Vegas with other Jack Nicholson, <laughs> creepy, sketchy Vegas businessman who, in the midst of all this madness, is in a boardroom because he is basically taking advantage of the country and the world's instability by attempting to build a casino. People will still need to gamble. Because that's what we need in our times of crisis in Vegas. More fucking casinos. <laughs> well, you know what? If the game of Fallout told me anything, even if money is no longer an object, eventually we will all be gambling bottle caps. It's perfectly fine. He's got a sound mind here. At the end of the world, we all still need to lose money. But uh, the aliens attack the building that Jack Nicholson is in and he immediately is dead. So we then transfer our focus to not Jack Nicholson, but his wife, Annette Benning. That's right. Remember I said Annette Benning's in this movie a million years ago? She's still here. And now she's actually going to do shit. <laughs> yeah. She finds Jim Brown and is like, Hey, do you know how to fly a plane? And Jim Brown's like, no, but I could kind of possibly figure it out. Yeah, because I have a private jet and we can get the fuck out of Dodge. And he's like, hmm, okay, maybe we can work something out. And then you think, okay, we've established our problem here. They got to get to safety. Whatever will they do? And then we get a typical Vegas trope. We get a, a nice little Vegasy show performance from none other than Tom Jones. That's right, people. That's the character we've been missing this whole time. Tom motherfucking Jones. And you think at first he's here just for a musical cameo. Oh, it's not unusual. Da -da -da. No, no, bitch. No, you don't understand. This is Mars Attacks. We are going to make Tom Jones a character. It's happening. It's here. It's everything I want. <laughs> yes, Tom Jones is chased off stage by aliens but you know that's not unusual he runs off stage runs into annette benning and jim brown and <laughs> they're like can you fly a plane tom jones and, tom and he's jo like sure i'm like <laughs> I of course you can tom jones i literally looked at frankie and i was like i call bullshit this is the one thing in oh, the movie this, this is it this, is, this it. is the part where you're like no my suspension of disbelief it's cannot dumb. stretch any further tom jones flying a plane yes this is the point that this was the straw that broke the camel's back oh my god because there is no way tom jones has ever flown a plane god Damn it. So just to recap, we have Jim Brown, Annette Benning, Tom Jones, and we need more fucking random bullshit in here. So you know what? Let's throw Danny DeVito in there, too. We got to get Danny DeVito back in here. Yeah, you know, he was the penguin. Tim Burton likes to use him. It's fine. Yeah, they're traveling to the airfield. And at one point, Danny DeVito is like, I'm not going with you guys anymore. And he separates from the group. And immediately runs into an alien and tries to buy his freedom of a Rolex and gets blown away. So, thank you, Danny DeVito. Goodbye. Yeah, you are really pointless in this movie. But hey, you're Danny DeVito, so you're always welcome. <laughs> so, now Jim Brown, Tom Jones, and that Benning get to the airplane. I feel like that's a start of a joke. <laughs> a very bad joke, but yes. <laughs> and the aliens are waiting outside for them, so... Jim Brown's like, 
I have to save everybody. I'll fight the aliens because I was an ex-boxer. This is really the point where he becomes like my favorite character because he sacrifices himself despite the fact that he is determined to get home to his family who he loves all so much. He's like, I'm going to sacrifice myself so Tom Jones and Annette Benning can get the fuck out of here. But how am I going to fight this group of, of evil aliens? Whatever shall I do? You know what? Fuck it. I'm a boxer. I'm just going to fucking box these motherfuckers. Which, by the way, so all the aliens are wearing helmets. Yes. <laughs> on Earth. That's like a thing. They all wear helmets. So it's glass helmets. And I don't know if you've ever punched something like a glass helmet or just a helmet in general. I wouldn't advise it. It hurts. I would assume it does. But Byron, a.k.a. Jim Brown, is the fucking hero of the day. Therefore, he feels no pain. He is the fucking master. He's the heavyweight champion. Oh, yeah, the sound effects are great here, too, uh, as he's punching... Which I love it because, okay, so all these these aliens are CGI'd. So they had Jim Brown. I know, I loved that. I just couldn't help but picture it in my head. They had Jim Brown, who is not a small man. He's, I think he's like 6'1", 6'2". Have to punch down at these aliens who are probably like four foot tall. But because they're not there, they're like, hey, Jim, just just punch down in the random motion. Don't worry. We'll animate the aliens there. <laughs> it, it, it's Yeah, it's I really almost, funny. I almost want to see the pictures of the set of Jim Brown punching nothing. I know. I know. I feel like that, too. But Byron, uh, he manages to kill the ambassador of the aliens, which is fucking just another tick in the Byron is awesome oh, category. He, he also takes out a couple others with Yeah, him. however, as Annette Benning and Tom Jones are flying overhead, they look down and they see Byron being overtaken by aliens. So, unfortunately, Byron is no longer with us. Let us do a moment of silence for Byron. Anyway, continuing with the C plot now, there is yet another plot in this fucking climax. The C plot goes as follows. Richie Norris, played by Lucas Haas. Remember that guy? Remember the donut shop guy? He's still here. <laughs> and he is going home to his trailer park and his parents are preparing to defend their trailer against the aliens and Richie is like, no, but I, we should go get grandma. What about grandma? And the parents being assholes, they are. They're like, ah, oh, fuck grandma. She's old anyway. Fuck her. And Richie's like, no, I'm going to go get my grandma, you assholes. Bye. And then immediately when Richie leaves, the parents get killed by aliens, which is a great little just desserts moment. Just icing on the cake. But Richie is quickly racing to get to his grandmother at her nursing home. Yeah, there's a joke here that I want to bring up because it's hysterical. As Richie's racing through, like, the town to go to his grandmother, there's a quick little joke of aliens chasing random people in the street, and one of the aliens is carrying the translator. And it's saying, as the alien's trying to shoot this lady, we come in peace, friend! <laughs> it's just, like, it's so dumb. But it's a great little stupid joke. And I just love it. But Richie finally arrives at the nursing home and it is being overtaken by aliens. He races to his grandmother's room 
and there are two aliens in the room slowly but surely creeping up on grandma but she has her headphones on attached to her little gramophone machine and she does not have any clue what's going on but Richie comes in the room yells out to his grandma grandma turns around and the headphones come out of the jack and what the sound that emits from the gramophone machine is something that I I can only describe as a piercing yodel (laughs) just the piercingest of piercing yodels if you remember back I want to say before the pandemic, the yodeling child in the middle of Walmart. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is basically the sound. And it causes the aliens to go, Arr! and their heads explode. Yes, it is actually a song. It's not just a randomly made up sound bite. It's an artist by the name of Slim Whitman. And the song is called Indian Love Call. Don't ask me. I don't know. But this is what it sounds like. When I'm calling you And upon that piercing yodel, the aliens' heads explode. So Richie and Grandma proceed to take this little nugget of knowledge and use it to their advantage. They drive around in Richie's truck blasting this song through their speakers and killing aliens every which way, left and right, wherever they go. Yeah, they basically pull a a fucking say anything with a boombox. Yeah, (laughs) basically. Well, I do like this element of the movie. It's not exactly an original idea that, you know, something monotonous and innocuous in American or human culture is actually something that's incredibly violent towards the aliens or towards the enemy. You know what I mean? War of the Worlds, the common cold. Exactly. Yes, it's been done before. But it is pretty cool and hilariously silly that Richie and Grandma are just driving around in their old pickup truck killing aliens with a fucking yodeling noise. And they are, again, playing it completely straight Eventually, this is what leads to the aliens being defeated because they play it over the radio station. They have the military using the song, like blasting it out of their tanks as they go through the fucking various towns. It's just so silly, but so hilarious because it's being played so straight. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's, it's fucking ridiculous, but it's very funny. And actually, this is, again, how the aliens' reign of terror ends. And we see that by our terrible CGI spaceships crashing into various parts of the world, one of which is the ship that SJP and Pierce Brosnan are on. And we get a nice little bow at the end of their (laughs) storyline. They are jostled about as the ship is crashing and both of their disembodied heads are lolling around on the floor and they somehow manage to confess their undying love to each other after just meeting what, like... Three days ago? Yeah, like maybe even less than that. And then they manage to kiss as the ship crashes into the ocean. And isn't that just a love story for the ages? Yes, it is the best love story of all time. But yes, they die. But overall, this climax of the movie is incredibly epic. And while also being incredibly silly, which is why I love it so. Oh, it's... it's, Again... I've been saying a lot. 
It's fucking bonkers. This whole fucking movie is bonkers. But we get our new president of the United States, Taffy. Well, I don't know if they actually say she's president. She awards the Medal of Honor to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, she's just practicing because, you know, she's going to play Padme in Phantom Menace, so she has to have practice of being a leader. Because you know why? Because she's an angel. Yeah, apparently. Uh, she she awards Richie and Grandma with the Medal of Honor, and we also get, like, just a random like little love connection between Lucas Haas and Natalie Portman for some reason. Well, it's really not important at all, but we have to, they're two young people and they're, they're here and they're normal. There, there are two normal people in the movie. So we have to make them like each other and kiss each other. (laughs) Kiss him, you fool. (laughs) But uh, then we get our real ending piece of the aftermath of this war we have intermittently just military shots of them like scooping up just alien carcasses like garbage trucks of alien carcasses it's kind of funny but i must apologize to audience i pride myself on being a sojourner of truth (laughs) a harbinger of truth here on shoot the flick a queen of accuracy and honesty all the t's but unfortunately i was dishonest with you (gasps) because byron my favorite character jim motherfucking brown he lives and he walked all the way to washington to be with pam greer yes he killed all the aliens and he escaped and he got away and he got home to his family the only annoying thing about that though is that they end the movie on byron literally walking into the apartment complex to potentially meet with his family but they don't show them reuniting and it's like the whole storyline with Byron and his family was like they just wanted to be reunited and you don't even show them reuniting that annoyed me but other than that I was so happy because A. Byron lives and B. he's a fucking badass motherfucker and he's my favorite character in this movie (laughs) you see that wallet my wallet says badass motherfucker on it that's right Uh, tell him Sam Jackson but yeah it, it is a little disappointing but overall, yeah, Byron lives, and it's fine. But it's okay. You know why it's okay, Scott? Because we end the movie not with a triumphant Byron reuniting with his family, but we end with Tom Jones exiting the airplane with Annette Benning and communing with several different animals, including a fucking hawk, which for some reason just perches itself on his arm for no reason. And then we go right into It's Not Unusual and our end credits. And that's how we end the fucking movie. I don't understand that. Well, the trailer, when you see the trailer for this movie, it promises you Tom Jones. And you get Tom Jones. You get all of Tom Jones, baby. So yeah, that was Mars Attacks. Oh my god. Can I just tell you... There have been times when we do episodes, the the movie that we talk about is very jam-packed and, you know, you feel like you ran a marathon afterwards. Like, some of the Harry Potter movies come to mind just off the top of my head, but I don't think I've been more exhausted 
than talking about this movie. I'm so exhausted. There was so much in this movie. And I feel like our explanations of things and our, our commentary didn't do it justice of how fucking crazy this movie is and also how awesome it is if you really just kind of fall into it and give yourself over to the madness yeah if you buy if you get past the first like 30 minutes of the movie and them introducing all these fucking stars it is a fucking crazy watch it really is like it's insane to watch and think about everything I want to watch it again because I was so tired when we watched it <laughs> that I almost want to just watch it again to get, like, a full understanding of how I feel about this movie. It is worth watching it again because if you know what's coming, it's much easier for you to take the medicine of just letting it happen to you. <laughs> it, it's free on YouTube for anybody that wants to watch it. Yes, it's absolutely free on YouTube. I implore you to watch it. I gave it a four out of five stars. Again, it's my favorite Tim Burton movie behind Beetlejuice. I have it as like a three or three and a half. It's it's right in the middle. It's like a three point two five. It's 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 a bonkers fucking movie. I appreciate it for what it is because I've never seen a movie like this before that just falls so willingly into the B movie tropes and just wants to be that ultimate B-movie. I love that. I, I love that it's just accepting what it is and just wearing it proud. Uh, see, that's the thing, though. I feel like we see it nowadays. Nowadays. Because but, we see a lot of movies like that where they're like, oh, you're intentionally making this bad. Right, but this was this was 96. This is, this is an homage to a B-movie. Right. This is not like... It's an expensive B-movie. That's why it's like a little bit of like, oh, okay, you get away with certain parts of these things. They know what they're doing. They know they have to wink at the camera. Right. Like a lot of the movies today who are intentionally being bad are playing it straight because that's they know that, but it's not good. Like if you're going to do that and you're going to make a bad movie and you know you're making a bad movie, wink at the camera. But if you're... The best B-movies are movies that don't know they're being bad movies. Like, The Room. Like... Right, exactly. I agree with you there. I just... I give this movie a lot of credit because it really did go outside the box for me. And it surprised me at multiple different points. And it had the nerve to fucking kill Marty McFly. And despite the fact that I love MJF... I gotta give it points for that. Because <laughs> MJF is incredibly charming and you have a real bucket of charm there with him as well as Glenn Close and you killed both of them. <laughs> like, you got balls, movie. You got balls. <laughs> I'm dead. I, like, I'm literally laying down now because I'm just so... I have a headache. Okay, so we should wrap this My up. My head <laughs> But in the best way, I implore you to watch this movie. If you have the fucking balls to do it, do it. It it will be worth your while. Even if you don't fall madly in love with it like I did, it's definitely still worth watching just to experience it. So we're going to go now and recover from this incredibly crazy 
traumatizing experience but next week we will be having a very special episode because scott is going to show me not a movie no no not not just a a regular old movie no we're gonna watch a tv show the first season of a tv show that i personally have always wanted to see but never just got around to doing it so i'm excited and I can't wait. And it's definitely going to be a nice break from the fuckery that has occurred tonight. <laughs> yes, it is. Get ready for it, people. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm so sorry if I was so out of whack that you couldn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> but I- I'm Frankie Sparks. <laughs> and I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our crazy wackadoodle movie adventure. He's making the international sign for a donut. I'm gonna die. <laughs>